Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That was the noise of a Miller Lite beer. Went on this walk today. That was, it's like an hour and 40 minutes, but it starts off in this really tough incline. And if you don't know, um, I'm fat. So this, it's like three blocks uphill or whatever it is. It's crazy. And, um, and uh, man, it kicks my rear end every time and today was one of those days where it was just really hot so for an hour hour and 40 minutes i'm just kind of baking into the street as i'm going in there and it's i'm sure i have people worried they were looking at me saying that this guy needs an ambulance and surely i probably will but anyway so um an hour and 40 minutes i listen to some great podcasts and things and it's really a great uh, way i don't know if that's meditating but it's therapeutic for me i love it i've i've been a crazy walker my my whole life i used to um my parents were divorced when i was a kid and i used to walk from i used to instigate a fight with a parent and then walk from that parent's house to another parent's house at all hours of the night through through uh the town i lived in which is Winchester, and they had train tracks back then. I just walked on the train tracks back to the other house from the other house. It was really fun. I never really stopped walking. Even in my early 20s down in um, in Somerville, used to walk a few miles to the train station. Love it. Then moving into Boston, of course, as a younger man, uh, Boston is such a walking city, and certainly not a driving city. Just the best. And back then, I uh, that was the dawning of... Um, iPods, and so the first thing I had, MP3 players, mobile, portable, first thing I had held like six MP3s, uh, but that was certainly before for podcasts, but I had the talk radio, and uh, that was all I needed. I used to jog around, um, I used to jog around uh, the Charles River, just listening to talk radio, those were the days, maybe I'll be a river jogger again, who knows? So we're going to talk to Grace Blazer of the Howie Car Show. Actually, it was the Howie Car Show that I was listening to as I jogged around right after 9-11. Howie was on seven days a week. RKO was a really good time for RKO. They were, they were 24-7 local 9-11 coverage, obviously. And uh, just listening to, to uh, Howie during that time was such a such a great, extraordinary, and stressful time. But it was good that he was there. For everybody, you can't really hear the uh, fortunate son opening uh, guitar riff without remembering all of Howie's extra, extra broadcasts from that time. So Grace, who was barely alive then, and uh, is um, not only a columnist for the Boston Herald, and she's the executive producer of the Howie Car Show. She hosts the show sometimes too. You should listen to her. She's you know twenty seven young uh, professional woman who's a Trump conservative 
and there's not a whole lot of those up here in the Northeast. Well, at least not in Boston. I think she's from, she lived around South here or something. But you'll hear from her in a minute. She's very cool. She's also just one of the sweetest people in the business. Is like really good, good person. And that is great because, you know, it's not universal. Certainly not in broadcasting. One of the things, just getting into radio, that I hated was um, just getting to know these different hosts who were always my idols and hearing how negative and nasty they were about the other hosts. There's so much rivalry. Like this old legend would hate this old legend and this guy hates this guy and this guy hates this guy. And uh, it was just disappointing because you want all these heroes to like each other and have a, a united front of sorts. But no, it's it's nasty. And there are some people who just don't have a nice thing to say about other hosts. It, there's a sense of competition generally and maybe it's insecurity or just competitiveness. But I never, I don't, I never liked it. I also didn't like when these, um, when these rivalries were on the air. So, uh, in, especially if there were two people I liked, I, I was never into that. The infighting, I was I felt, felt it was uncomfortable. But I'm an old, I'm a different kind of. A lot of people grew up loving Stern. That was not my thing. I got into it a couple times in the '90s when he was on in Boston at night. But I was. Um, I'm an older school uh, radio guy, like David Brudnoy and Gene Byrne, certainly Howie Carr, um, Avi Nelson, Mo Lazier, Larry Glick, Bob Raleigh. You know? So I had it was, and I'm not that old. I'm 47, and uh, so I was a kid when I was listening to a lot of these guys. I will stop smacking my uh, lips. By the way, this I've noticed yesterday. I was listening to this. And I thought, man, I would want to go in that room and strangle that fat idiot for smacking, making little lip sounds. So I'm working on that. Hang in there, one second. That was a, a sip of the, the light beer from Miller. And like I told you, I've been I'm walking and just baking on the side of the road. And it's one of these days where <clears throat> I've only had, two, well, this is my second beer in three hours. Uh, that rate of consumption may change. But uh, it's one of those days where you've just been baked in so much that you're really just you're really just gulping these beers, and they're so beautiful. God, they're, they're good. Some, there's a place for Miller Lite. There's a place for Mick Ultra, the watery beers, or some people call them lawnmower beers, whatever, whatever it is. I shouldn't be drinking beer at all, but I literally like beer. And, yes, beer and pasta account for... 98% of uh, all of my 98% fat. Where were we? What I really wanted to get to is Zoomers, really young people, because I told you I have a friend whose kid goes to Yale, and he sends me all the texts of his kid, and his kid calls everybody in the family um, white supremacists and um, and is, is really feels uneasy about some of the speech that he hears in his family and among kids in the neighborhood and very precious, very fragile young man, and and I want to say just suck it up. People, people. When I was a kid, there people were mean to each other, and you'd suck it up. And not everybody was a white supremacist. There's about 17 white supremacists on the in the United States. You know the the, the benefits the. Uh, diminishing returns on calling everybody racist forced progressives to uh, upgrade to white supremacists. So now everybody's a white supremacist. White supremacists, people in white supremacy. And it's because if you look at the intricacies of these systems uh, that are, uh, you know, white-ruled by design systems, systems is a big buzzword of progressives in the postmodern uh, d- dialect it's a BS word. It's a weasel word. There's a lot of the words like that. They're just so, they're either BS words, trick words, um, or um, they're indoctrination words, terms that kids love to use because they feel like it's a rite of passage that they've got this new, um, this new nuanced vocabulary leaking into their uh, brains that they're undergoing a personal enlightenment enlightenment that is unique to them of course they're like everybody else who taking the same classes in the same liberal colleges 
But so these words, they're all lazy, like white supremacist, racist is lazy. You know, if you had to, if you look at the half of the social media f- battles or half of the debates where it's a face-to-face, if you could extract, and these are from the left, could you extract the term racist, they would then have to fully explain what they mean in the character flaw or action flaw of the person they're talking about. And that's a lot of work, especially if there is nothing there and it's just pure vapor. Then just wrap it up in the term racist and let them figure out how to uh, crawl out of that trap. Not good for the culture. Not good. Uh, Okay, so here's one thing. If you're a Zoomer, or even a millennial, I guess, you've always been able to, pretty much your whole life, you've always been able to go sit in front of the TV or uh, a computer um, and instantly use the remote for the TV, use the remote to like hunt and peck or um, what's it called? Uh, Channel surf for what you want. Or you've been able to just conjure it up, call it up with a DVR or on demand. And the same thing now with Netflix and all that stuff. And everything's right there and you can have it immediately. So when I was so all it does is just make it makes like a kid in a candy store. You get to have everything always right then and now. And if Netflix for some reason is hanging and is not loading properly, you might have to get up and restart the TV, the box, whatever it is. And that's the battle. And you can go and watch like uh, you can go watch Star Wars, the the real first one from 1977. I can go downstairs, or my kids, 10-year-old, could go downstairs right now and search for it, find it, and watch it immediately, and then have it to watch again and again and again. Same with anything, like episodes of Saturday Night Live, if, if they wanted to, you could go and you know make sure you record or just get them on demand or whatever, Netflix or wherever those things are kept now, and they can get them and watch them again and again and again. When I was a kid, I had a brother. So it was me and a brother who's a couple years older, a year and a half older, and there was no remote. There was no remote for the TV, and there was no on-demand. Originally, there was no cable. So the TV fed you. The four channels or the five channels that were there fed you what it wanted to, and tough luck. You just had to deal with it. And once you saw it, it wasn't necessarily ever coming back. I remember watching the the like 1978, the Star Wars Christmas special with my brother, and we watched it. You know, like what, December like 12th or whatever, at 8 p.m. like 1978, whatever year it was, which would have made me five at the time, and that thing went away and never came back. And for years, in through the 80s. Early 80s, you talk about a little bit. Remember that weird thing, that weird Christmas special? With almost the whole cast, but not the whole cast, and some, like, B. Arthur's in it. It's a weird and disgusting and, and, and depressing thing, the, the spectacle to watch. It's not good for you. Don't watch it if you don't have to. But we wandered through the 80s, and then into the 90s, we wondered. You, you check in with somebody and say, do you remember that, that Christmas special that happened? And sometimes you, you just ask it to make sure you weren't making it up. Because it had played and it was gone. It was gone. There was no Google to search to see where it was. It was freaking gone. And so you had to count on your memory of it and just kind of reach out with people. And even, I remember even in school, uh, we'd see, for some reason, elementary schools showed kids this psychological uh, mind experiment of a movie called The Red Balloon. I think it was in French. And it's uh, crazy. It's it's something that should be, it seems like the result of an acid trip. And I don't know why we were fed this stuff in in school. But we saw it. And uh, I remember it through the 80s into the 90s saying, did you remember something called the red balloon? And people would say, oh, yes. If they were the right age, they'd say, uh, yes, yes. What was that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I know it was sad. And there was crying. And the balloon went away at some point. But that was just it. It was freaking gone forever. Until, like, the internet came in in the mid-90s, and you could Google the Star Wars Christmas thing, and there it was. Oh, my God, it did exist. And now, my kids, if they want to, 
That one thing that was a shooting star for us back in 1978, they could watch again and again and again and again and again and again and not give a bleep. And it would just be right to them, right to them, right to them, and they could exhaust the thing. Not only that, but when we were watching TV as kids, already with a brother, you've got a rival. So it was very important since there was no remote control it was very important that you got the seat that was far away from the tv because the gentleman's agreement of the 1980s was that the close guy would have to mess with the tv now the close guy would be rewarded for for, when i say mess with the tv that means like screw with a vertical hold which is probably terms that anybody under 30 doesn't know or a horizontal hold or some other tint and contract, all sorts of stuff, weird stuff. You'd have to mess with it. And and then you'd have rabbit ears, antenna on top of the TV. And there was no guarantee that that's coming out good, that you're going to get good reception whatsoever. So the close guy who gets the seat closest to the TV, yes, the reward in for him is that he's uh, much closer to the the show that's coming on and can see it. And back then, of course, this is no HD. So, but he's right close to the TV and that is the, the best seat in the house. Unfortunately, the risk of sitting there is that if you go up and mess with the uh, rabbit ears and you can't figure it out and it only works if you're touching it, you're screwed. Cause you've, you've, it's like the, the emergency seating on an airplane. You volunteered. You've rolled the dice. You volunteered. You want all the reward of that position being close, but the risk is treacherous. You could be up there holding the rabbit ears, and if it's more than one person on the far seats, they're going to, like a gang, bully you into standing up there while it happens, and you catch hell for this. So these, all of these things, and then finally, if, you, if you're sick of it and you, don't, you didn't want to have to stand up holding the rabbit ears in the TV... I mean, you could try anything. You could try putting a book there. Nothing. Like, it only liked humans doing it. You couldn't find a piece of roadkill and place it on the rabbit ears. It wasn't interested in that. It only wanted you, a human being, to hold the rabbit ears to maintain good, to, to maintain a clear channel. So, if you were sick of it and said, okay, we'll just watch what has the best channel, there's a real good chance that that could be up here in... Uh, Channel 2, which up in Boston is WGBH, which is PBS. And that could suck, but it came out clearly. So you're nine years old and you're stuck watching Masterpiece Theater because that's the only piece, the thing that's on clearly. And you're sick of holding the rabbit ears. So you're already at war over the other people in, in the cheap seats because they want you to hold the rabbit ears and watch something good. But no. So, and if you're invested, um, if you're, you know, invested in another show, then, well, that's, that's too bad. You know, it doesn't matter. It's not happening. And the jockeying for seats was a huge thing. You were a chump if you got beat out in the seats. And then what are you going to do? During the commercials, is your time to go do stuff or is your time to... Uh, see what else is on. So you could then, you know, check the other channels briefly. But then you had to get right the hell back because the commercial, the show was coming back in. And if you weren't there in time, it's just it's just rolling. You know, the the, the Star Wars special is coming back on and the Wookiees are singing and dancing. Whether or not you're ready for it. And there was no, and there's no uh, safety net for you. It's small things like that. Imagine that. And if you are watching something sucky and you're 18 feet away from the TV and you're thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth my time to go up there, to go to the thing, to turn the channel manually when I don't know what's the, what's there? So I just keep on Masterpiece Theater. I mean, but these are things, just little conveniences that meant that you had to plan. If you're going to watch something, you had to plan and be ready and time bathroom breaks and snack breaks and this and that. And you never knew what was going to happen. A lot of times if you're watching a, a primetime show, 
something you're getting towards the end you're like here comes a resolution and then boom to be continued comes on the screen and then that is holy hell at that point that is not acceptable but man they did it to you always always in the in the 70s and 80s it's just a way of life so did having that experience make us better at tv more focused in more uh, discerning and kind of sober and disciplined in leisure hours? Or is it better, that's the dog just walked in, or is it better now, or a few years ago, for kids to simply conjure up anything they want ever in the world? I still think about Saturday Night Live, like my my prime time for Saturday, Saturday Night Live was like 87 through like 93. So it was the... The two worlds of like Dennis Miller and Dana Carvey, and then Mike Myers comes in, then Sandler and uh, and uh, all those guys come in, and right around the, when they were together, um, what's his name? Um, yeah, I mean that sound again. God damn it, um, Stuart Smalley there, the guy, the congressman from Minnesota. Uh, but there was this, there was this incredible um, skit called the sarcastic clapping family from Southampton and that was right around 1990 and it was so good and essentially somebody would say something like oh, well it looks like we're having a nice day and then somebody else would say all family members fighting well that's funny you say that Bob because you've never enjoyed a day for real and the person would be clapping sarcastically behind it anyway I'm doing it a terrible I'm doing a terrible job but I can't even two years ago I looked for that thing on the internet and I couldn't find it and so I'm just using what I remembered from 1991 or whatever it was and it, thankfully my mind was rolling on it when it played because that's all i have to go with now that and the fact that me and my friends talked about it because that was there and it was gone and if you thought something was funny you better record it in your mind because it was not necessarily coming back funniest skit i ever thought there was in snl was uh massive head wound harry <laughs> it's two minutes two like two three minutes of insane hilarity and offensiveness <laughs> and it's really kind of pointless look it up if you can um and it's exactly what it sounds like a massive headwind guy and there it played and then it was gone and i've seen it in the last few years but you know you had to be paying attention and you've had the same thing by the way you can email me if you want with your own experiences of this kind of stuff i know this is not hard hitting we're going to talk to grace in a second that'll be that'll be straight up uh, news and talk but uh, I'm at winchester at gmail.com. That's W-I-N-N, Chester, C-H-E-S-T-E-R, at gmail.com. And uh, just slug it with podcast or something. I got a lot of crap in there. But I'll check it out. I'll, I'll certainly read those. You can also um, leave messages on Facebook and, and Twitter and DM me or whatever. I'll try to do more of that. I should have come prepared with some of those, some of those right now. Mostly what I get is uh, criticism of the music and... <laughs> I don't know what the guy said. I was, uh, I was uh, weirdly and uh, maybe annoyingly uh, listenable or something like that. It was really a, a well-crafted backhanded compliment, but I like it. I like any feedback. Uh, okay, so are you ready? Is everybody ready? What a week this has been. This uh, We talked last night, of course, about Bubba Wallace and... He's now come out with a very measured statement saying, yeah, you know, I, at the end of the day, we're happy that the authorities found out that there was no hate crime whatsoever. And I want to get on with my life. And thank you so much, everybody, for playing and, deep, and working with me. And people are lauding it like, what a great statement. What a great statement. What are you kidding me? A kid performed a, a hoax on the world, a damaging hoax on the world, and had puts out this generic vanilla, vanilla statement and we're supposed to now laud him for it. No, 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 no. That fellow is canceled in my book. Professionally, anyway. Not that I would watch NASCAR. Anyway, I assume that that's... I mean, the electric cars will be beating those guys soon anyway. All right, so it is time for my friend, all-around good person. I suggest you listen to her. And, uh, you know, Howie Carr is on 3 to 7 p.m. And Grace also writes for the Boston Herald. Her name is... Grace Curley, and she is uh, an, an up-and-comer. I guess she's established now, but um, she's a pleasure. She's a good kid, and we need more like her. Here she is, Boston Herald columnist and producer, executive producer of the Howie Car Show, Grace Curley. Grace, been a while. How you doing? I am fabulous, Tom. How are you? 
I am I am good. I'm just reaching out to folks to see uh, one if they've been infected by this uh, crazy psychological disease that has taken half the country and made them crazy. And I think um, that you have not been affected by that. And, no, I have not. Right. And two, I'm just trying to find uh, other people who are noticing that the, the great unraveling of society is happening and that things are bleeping crazy. They are. They're crazier um, that I've ever seen in my lifetime, which I know is not the longest, but I'm only 28 and I've never seen it like this before. I've never seen such a divide and people who fully believe what they believe, which is could be either side and just don't want to hear anything else. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And if people should follow Grace on Twitter, it's at G underscore Curly, C-U-R-L-E-Y. That way you can get to her latest column, which was on uh, the Boston Police Commissioner Gross, William uh, Gross, I guess, who I love. I, mean, I am so impressed. I with do, that too. Guy. And the fact that he met with the Attorney General of the United States last week and somehow got in trouble for it. He essentially had to apologize for it and had the mayor, the mayor mentioned it, said I wouldn't have met him. Does that stick out to you as something that is a bad barometer for where we are in these times? It really does. I think anytime people are afraid to have conversations with each other, that's really startling and that's not where we want to be. Um, I, I can't help but notice that the people who seem to be the most open to having opposing views either on their shows or in their offices are Republicans. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that's coincidence that let's say you have a Tucker Carlson. I wrote this in my column. He'll have anyone on. He'll have people who firmly disagree with him. And he has confidence in his ideas and his ability to debate. And this whole idea of just tearing things down that you disagree with and tearing people down that you disagree with and silencing them, I think shows a huge weakness in the other side's ideology. And they don't have confidence in their argument either. Otherwise, why not sit at a table with someone you disagree with and try to get something mm -hmm. done? Yeah. And William Gross, who's the, once again, the police commissioner for Boston, this is a guy, he is a black man. So I believe he has an experience that we're all paying a little more attention to right now. And he's also in law enforcement. You would figure this would be an ideal person to speak to the man who has the ear of the president. But no, it's like everybody gets stripped of their identity unless, they're complete, unless they completely fall in line. And I loved what um, Commissioner Gross said about I I'll never be afraid to have a conversation with anyone because I think when once you start being afraid – of conversation, then you're, there's no, not going to be any progress for either side. We have to be able to talk to each other. It's And, and, and honestly, if you don't want to talk about politics and you have someone in your life that you disagree with and you don't want to get into it over dinner, that's fine too. But if your jobs are to be leaders for your communities and you can't talk to each other, that's a fundamental part of your job. Marty Walsh should not be telling the police commissioner, oh, I wouldn't have met with the attorney mm -hmm. general. The, if anything, he should be saying, that's an amazing thing. I'm so glad he met with them. That's historic that the attorney general visited the Boston Police Department. This stuff should be applauded. It shouldn't be made out to be like he did something wrong. Hey, how much how much is this due to college? I'm, I'm watching video of uh, white, probably middle-class women in their 20s mm -hmm. berate black and Hispanic cops in Washington, D.C. And I'm thinking, how they could only have learned that that is an okay thing to do, that somebody's lost their personhood in some kind of, um, you know, gender race uh, studies class or, or something. Uh, how much, wh wh where, where are these people learning to be like this i definitely think the liberal education the liberal colleges have a huge part in this and and kind of brainwashing everyone into this idea that everyone has to agree with what i'm saying and what i believe or they have to be destroyed i think that's a huge problem and i think also just the anger for me is very scary because mm. i really believe in a lot of what President Trump says, and I and I fully believe in our country and freedom and the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, but I would never speak to anyone 
in such a way. And I don't know if that's maybe the internet now has made everyone kind of callous in how we interact with each other. But I definitely think we need to bring back a little bit of kindness to our daily conversations with people. Just the screaming and the vitriol and the hate that people have for one another right now. It's not helping. And it's not helping anyone's cause either. I don't think you get anywhere by screaming at people and making them feel terrible. It just doesn't seem progressive. And that's yeah. what the, the left's whole mentality is, is that we're so tolerant and we're so progressive. But it seems like if you don't agree with them, they can get very, very yes. angry. Yeah, well, they insist, Grace, that your speech is dangerous and that it's violence. They think it's the same exact thing. So they're reacting to being assaulted, essentially, is what they would say. But I mean, you, you graduated college fairly recently and you were in a, at least, a, were you a theater manager? Alicia I was a theater major, yes. Okay, well, I assume that that was pretty damned liberal, and those people were. Um, do they talk to you anymore? <laughs> I mean, are... so I don't. So here's the thing, Tom, and this is what I tell a lot of people. I was a uh, in a theater department in school, and I was such close friends with everyone in my theater department. I'm still super close with one of my professors there. He's the nicest man. He's liberal. He's Democrat, but we still talk. He's going to come to my wedding. He's just the best. But what I will say is when I was in school, president, the president was President Obama. Mm -hmm. So the liberals were all happy. So it never really came up. I think if it ever did come up, it was kind of a cute thing. Like, oh, that crazy Grace, she's a Republican. Oh, <laughs> LOL. Now I can't imagine. Now I think it would really be a daily topic. But when I was there, luckily for me, they didn't have any issues because they were happy. So this is what happens when people are sore losers. It starts to consume every day. And my mom always gives me this example. She said, I wasn't a fan of President Obama, but I didn't go on Facebook and write horrible things. And I didn't yeah. rip my hair out about it. I got up and went to work every day. I wanted the best for the country. It's it's just, it's not reciprocated. I've never seen such sore losers. Oh man, if that's not the best way to put it. And even with this uh, Bubba Wallace stuff, they still can't just let it go. You know, You the, the guy floated in NASCAR, you know, floated this story out there. People embraced it. People used it as a weapon on social media. People so, felt good about themselves for, uh, you know, re retweeting it and, and saying all the right things about Bubba and his struggle. Everybody felt great seeing the all the other drivers push his car, which was bizarre if you think about it. Um, and then it blew up. And it just blew up. And instead of owning it, instead of saying, oh, you know what? I got behind the wrong guy now. They're panicking. They're more angry than ever. They're saying that, um, no, 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 it doesn't matter. There still was a noose. There still was. There was no noose. There was a thing. They pulled the garage door down. And people have just, have just put reality aside. They're so interested in, in confirmation bias and in, in believing this own story. How, how, do, how does somebody who's got that psychology break out of it? I don't know the answer to that. But one thing I have noticed is that there has never been a reckoning for the media. And, and I'll say this on a lot of fronts. I don't necessarily blame or totally blame the the rioters who are, you know, tearing down statues. I do think that people should be held accountable for when they commit crimes, if they loot stores. But I feel that a huge part of this problem is the media and there's never any mm -hmm. accountability. And now these journalists, I think you tweeted out today, Tom, someone tweeted out, um, oh, it wasn't a huge leap. And you retweeted it and said, something not being a huge leap is not an excuse for bad journalism. Like you need right. to, you, you need to look into what isn't, isn't a huge leap. And I just think that there's time and time again, these fake news stories come out, the media runs with it. And, and just to put it in a simple way for people who might not be on Twitter or follow it, the fake news story will generally get, let's say, 5 million retweets, views, whatever you want to call it, interactions. And the corrections get about five. So it's all about getting out the story first and getting it out, even if it's wrong, just so everyone hears mm -hmm. it. And then they're very quiet about, oh, the FBI said that it actually wasn't a noose. It was a pull rope for the garage. <laughs> and then you never hear about it again. And the scary part is, Tom, that a lot of people, 
a lot of young people on Twitter, they will only see the first story. They will run with it. They will post about it. They will talk about it with their friends and they will never hear the truth, which is it actually was a giant misunderstanding. So I just think that there's this disconnect between let's get it out there and get everyone riled up. And that's the media's the media's culpability, but they want to get everything out there. They want to get everybody upset. And then they don't want to come forward and say, Hey, listen, we, you know, we shouldn't have really brought this story to the forefront without looking into it a little bit. And they did the same thing with the election. They, they, they've made, they've made these fake news mistakes time and time again. And eventually it stops being a mistake and it starts being a pattern. Mm -hmm. And if you don't think that there's a pattern here and that all these mistakes are pointing in one direction, which is to make Republicans look bad, to make Trump look bad, then you're not paying attention. Yeah. And I think you're right. It it turns into a pattern and then that becomes normalized and that becomes journalism. So now exactly. And and you when Trump was when Trump first ran, remember, he was still a friend to the media. They had him on Saturday Night Live and he was on Joe and Mika. And they all loved him back then. He was an NBC guy, you know. He was he was always good. Uh, he would always make for a good segment. He usually brought something, etc. And then they decided once he was a Republican, once he was making traction, they started asking him, "Can you uh, distance yourself from David Duke?" And he was like, "What? Hey, no, David Duke. <laughs> right. like, why would he care about David Duke? He's a real estate guy from New York." And then the media, as they do with every Republican, decided that he was a racist. And, you know, from there, on his on Inauguration Day, where, according to the media, he gave a very dark speech, which if people remember back to that day, not only did he give a fine speech, but Chuck Schumer spoke before the president and slammed him, which was bizarre for an inauguration. But Inauguration Day, people, the coverage from CNN was that there are white supremacists supremacists in in Washington, D.C. Richard Spencer, who nobody had ever heard of before. CNN makes the guy famous. They make all this racism famous, these racists famous. They draw correlations between them and Trump. The Charlottesville thing, of course, they, the media had a ball with. And then you know, they're, they've been calling him a racist for so long that it, it's, it's ineffective. So they have to move. He's now a white supremacist, Donald Trump. A white supremacist used to mean something. That was a guy, a skinhead up in Utah. But now they've made it to no Trump is and all his supporters are. So no wonder you've scared the hell out of the population to think that there are white supremacists right around the corner. You're right. This media is directly responsible for this crap. They they really are. And they'll never take any responsibility. Everything's Trump's fault. Everything goes back to Trump. And I really think that the American people are tired. These news cycles have been exhausting. Um, I I watch it every day. It's part of my job. So I enjoy it to a certain extent. Not what's going on right now, but I just mean like the different cycles, the changing stories. But I think as far as voters are concerned, it's not helping the Democrats because they've run through. If you think back to big stories in the Obama administration, there were a few big stories that took over a lot of time. But right now in the Trump era, like you said, they've tried so many things that haven't stuck. So they've gone through like 500 years in the course of three years. <laughs> There's been a story every day. And I, I do wonder if either people are going to have Trump fatigue and he's not going to win because people mm-hmm. will be tired. Or if people are going to say it can't he can't be that bad because you guys have been saying the sky's going to fall for the last four years and we're all still here. So. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. But the media yeah. is definitely they never cease to disappoint me. No kidding. We'll see about that. We'll see, because I, I don't think he's having a good year on his own anyway this year. Mm-hmm. But um, but um, all of this, you're right. All of this should play into his hands. The fact that this there's no law and order and that there's, you know, institutions are being broken down and people's lives are being destroyed who shouldn't be destroyed and uh, all the cancel culture stuff should play into his hands and we'll see i mean we've never had a chance this is the first president i've ever seen where he never had a chance to not be under severe attack by the media right he never got a grace period and honestly i started thinking about that recently because i think that's actually going to benefit him in the sense that usually what happens and you know this tom from watching it over the years is that someone will get elected their base will be super excited. They'll get them into office. 
And then they'll, you know, there'll be the people in the base who start going, well, he said he was going to do this and he mm-hmm. never really did that. Or he said he was going to do this and that didn't happen. And so some people in the base start to float towards the center. They get kind of, you know, disappointed. I think this is the first time that people who really love Trump are just as angry now as they were when they voted him in. They mm. feel like he never got a fair shake. They feel like they got robbed at the first election because they because the Democrats have spent the last three years trying to bring him down. So I do think as far as voter enthusiasm, that's going to be even better than before as far as his base goes, because yeah. I'm part of his base and I feel as though they have totally screwed him since day before day one. So I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I, I do think it's interesting that he's the first guy to never get a little time. Can you and and he's still accomplished a lot, but can you imagine what he would have accomplished if people kind of gave him right. the benefit of the doubt for at least a couple of months? Yes. Any just a bit of any bit of coverage. You know, treat Melania for a day like you treated any other first lady. You know, this is by the way, one of the most profoundly beautiful and accomplished first ladies that we've ever had. But you wouldn't know it because nobody nobody will work with her. Nobody will, will cover her. Oh, I know, and it's such a shame because so I have um an Instagram account and I follow all of the Melania Instagrams. Yeah. And it's true. She's just, she's a fashion icon. She's just stunningly gorgeous, speaks several languages. Um, and never, all she gets is bad impressions on SNL and, you know, stupid jokes and they make fun of her son. It's just terrible. It's just hey, terrible. Do you ever listen to the Rubin report, Dave Rubin podcast? Uh, um, I don't, but I, I think I follow Dave on Twitter. So he's a converted, he was a, a big liberal, he used to be with the Young Turks, as a matter of fact, and now he's more of a conservative, he's been kind of red-pilled, uh, <clears throat> and he's um, a gay man, and his husband, he's married to a guy named Dave as well, and he has a great story in, about being in Mar-a-Lago, and... I have heard this oh, you story. Have? Okay. And the Trump people in Melania and her girlfriend like called him over, and her girlfriend was a, uh, a Hillary supporter, and they were all interested in who the young handsome man was, and and then Trump, you know, went in, got into the conversation, and uh, and let them know that he, you know, didn't had no problem with uh, gay marriage, et cetera. And actually, anyway, it humanizes him, and I think that part of Trump, more people need to to know that stuff. Well, I I think that. And I've tried to explain this to people before who called Trump, like you said, a racist, a white supremacist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I try to say you're almost giving him a little bit too much. I don't want to say credit, but you're thinking too far into it because the way I think Trump's mind works. And I know a lot of people like this. Are you nice to me? Do you say nice things about me? Are you going to help me get stuff done? If you are, he likes you. And he'll tweet that he likes you. If you're mean to him, if you're, as he would say, nasty to him, mm-hmm. if you try to take him down, he's going to punch back at you. I don't think he thinks about things as a racist or as someone with prejudices. I think his only prejudice going in is, do does this person like me? Does this person do nice things for me? And that's the <laughs> New York real estate guy in him. He just wants to get things done. So when people say all these things like, oh, he's he's done so many racist things. Name one. Name one thing he's done. Name one bad thing that's impacted the black community that Donald Trump has done. I, I can't. And as far as gay rights, he's, for a conservative president, he's very socially liberal. Yeah. And I don't think there's any question about that. But people don't like to take it. They, they like to just go based off emotions and say, you know, he is this, he is that. Right. When really... I just think he likes people who like him. Yes. It's pretty simple. <clears throat> yeah. When you, and you have people say, well, he's a white supremacist. Like, I don't know too many white supremacists who would sign a bill into law that would, you know, put more free, more young black men back into society from jail. I mean, the First Step Act was criminal justice reform on a huge scale. No other Republican could get it done. Probably no other Democrat. And this guy did it. Oh, he's done way. He's done way more than Barack Obama did for prison reform. It's not Mm -hmm. even a question. And the fact that Joe Biden gets out there and starts saying that he's going to do this and that for the black community when we all know Joe Biden's record, it's amazing. And just speaking of that, Tom, the fact that these Democrats who have been I saw some posts the other day and I thought it was great. They they put the years that everyone's been in office and it said something like Nancy Pelosi, 33, Joe Biden, 35, whatever. These people have been in office for decades 
And now they're telling us that all of these problems are because of a guy who's been in there for three years. It's just common sense. It does not make sense that they've had all this time to fix things. And now, according to them, everything's bad because of Donald Trump. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's like you spent the 80s and 90s coming up with harsh criminal sentences for uh, offenders, nonviolent offenders, too. I mean, Donald Trump was designing golf courses back then, you know? Right. Now he signed a bill to let some of these folks back out and gave them a second shot. It's like crazy. So one other thing before I let you go, it's Grace Curley um, of the Howie Carr Show and the columnist for the Boston Herald. This is uh, a childish emotion I have, but, you know, and I wasn't originally a Trump guy, and eventually I saw him as the only way to defeat Hillary. He's the only possible way, and I still believe that. And then I've grown to like a lot of what he's done, and parts of his personality, I I think he's the funniest president that we've ever had. Um, I do too. But, you know, when considering like who I'm voting for this year, one of the things that I factored in, and once once again I said this is childish, is that sure I could look at the Biden, the other guy, but the left has been so freaking terrible over the past four years. People I know personally, neighbors, people in Facebook pages have been so awful and petty and horrible without end. And they've been, like you said at the beginning, they've been poor sports from the beginning. Is like, to me, that's a reason to say, you know what? Screw you guys. You're not getting rewarded for that terrible behavior. Is that uh, is that childish and petty? Grace no, I, I totally agree. We cannot give them the satisfaction. I'm thinking of people I know in my life, Tom, who the day uh, that Donald Trump wins, it would be the best feeling for me to say, you never beat him. You never beat him. He won both times. And then I also think the reverse the smug look they'd have on their face if they actually got him out. And I oh, yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. Well, that's one of the reasons they're so broken inside is they were already dancing on our grave in 2016 in November. They were already laughing at me. I remember some kid coming into my office at the Herald and laughing at me saying, uh, I already talked to some people on the ground and, uh, and Trump's already getting trounced on internal polls. Looks like it's over. Good luck with that. And he was just enjoying doing this end zone dance that because Hillary was going to win. I never talked to him again. That was the last he spoke to me, and there's a lot of that. They're just so broken from the last time. But this is the kind of stuff, among other things, that Grace Curley talks about Monday through Friday from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. on the Howie Carr Show. Check out uh, HowieCarrShow.com. That's right, Grace. Yes, HowieCarrShow.com. And I wanted to tell people my full columns now, if you can't get through the Boston Herald paywall, are at Howie Carr Show. And we also have a lot of cool stuff on our store at HowieCarrShow.com. Click store, get a lot of cool deals, cool t-shirts, things like that. Got to give the boss man a plug. (laughs) And Tom, I I would be remiss if I did not thank you for not just having me on the podcast, but for getting me onto the Boston Herald, which has totally changed my life for the better and taken me to a new level. So thank you very much for being such a good friend. Oh, please. There was, uh, well, not only are you a good friend, but uh, you're a talent and we we know know them when we see them, Grace. So remember, it it served our interest. (laughs) All right, Grace Curley on Twitter, at G underscore Curley, C-U-R-L-E-Y. Grace, take it easy. Talk to you later. Bye, Tom. Thank you. Hey, Grace, I appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Talk to you later. That was fun. Thank you. There she was, Grace Curley. A millennial, um, but not somebody who would be a jerk about the remote control, somebody who is grounded, down to earth, has good values, does not believe in the end of institutions, and is a, a positive person with a great career. And uh, listen to her once again, Howie Car Show, 3 to 7 p.m., and follow her on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at TomShattuck.com, S-H-A-T-T-U-C-K. I'm on Facebook as Tom Shattuck. I don't know. Just it's Tom Shattuck. I don't know, and uh, you can. I do have a website. This is, I don't know what's going on there too much. I got a lot of work to do. TomShattuck.com for the website. And uh, let's see. To Jerry, listen to me on the Jerry Callahan show. Is on Jerry twice. I am just on a media blitz this week. I was on with Jerry Callahan for the Jerry Callahan podcast twice. Uh, I was on today with Todd Feinberg of WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut. And tomorrow, I believe I'll be with VB on WRKO at, um, when will I be there? 12? 1? I'm not sure. Something probably around noon. 
I'll tweet about it so you know, or I'll put it on Facebook as well. So I appreciate you hanging out. Thanks, by the way. I've got a good. I have more than one hundred, less than one thousand um, subscribers so far, and um, I appreciate it. I know a lot of you folks have come over. A lot of you are Kirk guys, Kirk Minahan guys. My high school uh, colleague, by the way, let's record show. I'm not sure we knew each other, but uh, I'll do whatever it takes to uh, to win acceptance from the Minute fans. <laughs> but uh, but um, and folks who have been listening to Jerry Callahan and to the other places, you know, I think that the the podcast community is continuing to grow and grow and grow, which is why I'm like the second to the last person to get into it. Oh, I've had other ones. I've had uh, some better than others in the in the past, but this is a. Uh, they're going to keep doing this, baby. You know, I like it. I like it, and I'll take more of your feedback, whatever it is, good, bad, and agnostic, uh, whatever, as long as it's not about a certain piece of music. Here she is, a Boston harem. Boston harem. I'm going to start that again. You don't want to be known as part of being in a harem, I don't think. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.